talking about two natures. Two natures is our series, and this morning are two characters that we're looking at as a spirit man and a flesh man, and that is Saul and David. Saul and David. So I want to talk to you about the successful spirit-filled life. What is it, and how does it work, the successful spiritual life? How many people remember the days when you were young and you used to dress up in costumes, right? How many people, I know you don't like you didn't do this. Everybody did it, okay? You dress up in costumes and, and uh, uh, you had the superhero cape on, all right? Uh, there, yeah, there you are on the screen. Uh, you dress up in a costume and you would, here's what would happen. You would lose yourself in that person, right? You could dress up like Betty Crocker, girls, my daughters, I got two kids, they dress up like princesses all the time. I got every Frozen and Disney princess in the closet, you know, they, they can come out and it's like, oh, they, here it is, uh, Ariel walked in the room. Like, they, they are that person, you embody that person. Or, uh, guys, how many people had the Batman costume, the Spider-Man, Superman? My aunt, my great aunt, um, she was very good at sewing and I remember at five years old, she made me the Ninja Turtles costume. All right, come on, where's my Ninja Turtles fans, right? And some of y'all it's dated. The other kids are like, who's Ninja Turtles? Uh, but Ninja Turtles, man, I would wear that thing like every day at five years old. And what happened? You put that thing on and your other self just disappeared. You were Leonardo, Michelangelo, or Donatello, right? You were, you were that guy. And you got to live that out all day long until mom said, take it off. It's time for supper, right? That's who you were. Sometimes, wouldn't it be nice as an adult, come on, uh, adults, that you could put on maybe a better you? and leave that old you behind? Wouldn't it be nice if like that kid, they put that costume on, they lost their self in that costume? Sometimes I wonder if it would be easier for me to go into my closet and put on a better Heath Harris, one that's more patient, more kind, has got a little bit more self-control, always walking in joy, has some peace, and just put him on and just get lost in that, and it'd be a lot easier. How many think that'd be easier? Just go in the closet, put on a better you, walk out. You have more peace, more joy, more patience, more love, more happiness. How many think you'd be a little bit more successful in your daily life, right? A little bit more successful. You know, when we were young, we were told about this thing called the American dream. I know we've got graduates in the room today, and I know this is going to apply to you, but to all of us as well. We were told things like, you can be anything you want to be. If you work hard enough, anything is possible. We were told, climb the ladder, reach the top, make a difference, build stuff, own stuff, be bigger, be the best, right? Take the world by storm, and that you can be a bigger and better you. And here's what Oxford says about success. We're talking about what does it mean to be a successful Christian. It says, a successful person, in the dictionary says, it's a person who's achieved desired aims, or they attain fame, wealth, or social status. When we were younger, we all wanted to put on success. We all wanted to do this. We all wanted to be the best mom, maybe, ladies, or the best dad. You wanted to be the best person in your career field. You wanted to leave home and make everybody at home proud. You wanted to let everybody want to be talking about how successful my son is or my daughter is. You wanted to go off and make mom and dad proud. You wanted to make your mark on society or even in your own little circles. Come on, parents. Sometimes you want to be the one that has the best kids. You want to put it on social media, my kids are the best. I know everybody thinks that, but right, you wanted to be able to say, my kids have made me proud. We wanted to be successful, even in our own little circles. We wanted to be the one at the high school reunion that came back and never gained weight. Come on, right? All right, that's how it is. I know how it is. Come on, let's be honest. Y'all people, y'all let's be honest in the room, right? Take off the mask. We all want to be successful, even in our own little circles. We want to be successful. The one that stayed in shape had a good-looking family whose life meant something and mattered. But we all know this. 
And society tells us, and we see it on the news, that no matter how much you have the better looking body, no much how you have more money or the big house in the suburbs or a good-looking spouse or a life filled with friends and parties, that doesn't create happiness and it doesn't create inner peace. In fact, it doesn't even come close to pleasing God. Because Romans says that those who are in the flesh, the flesh can never please God. So what does it mean to please God then and what is success in God's eyes? And see, God does have a calling on your life. He does want to do great things with your life. He does want to use you to make a bigger eternal impact. He does want to uh, do things through you. And He does have something that He has for you, great things for you. But spiritual success is this. It's having a heart that faithfully serves God. Spiritual success is having a heart that faithfully serves God. Because what does Jesus say when you receive the reward? Well done, good and faithful servant. Spiritual success is a heart that faithfully serves God. It's a heart that listens to what the Spirit of God is saying to you. It's a heart that follows the Word of God by faith. It's a heart that is given to you by God and that you daily work to put on. Romans 13, 14, this is kind of my verse for today, so if you kind of tie into there, but it says, Romans 13, 14 says this, how do you do, how do, you do this? How do you have spiritual success? Put on, Paul says, put on, somebody say put on. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Paul says, be clothed with Christ. Put on Christ and make no provision. It means uh, put on Christ means take no thought for the flesh. It means like that kid who put on the costume. Put on that costume, that clothing of Jesus Christ and get lost in it. That that kid who took on that Ninja Turtles outfit, Heath Harris at five years old, got lost in it and became it and took no thought for who he really was, but in that moment put on and became the thing that he put on, right? And Paul says it that way. Put on. You want to be successful in the Christian life? Put on Jesus and get lost in him and take no thought for who you used to be. Get totally lost in him. And how does that happen? Because when you become a Christian, you get a new heart and a new spirit. God does this thing, this supernatural born-again thing that we can't even comprehend or understand. But every day you have to make a choice to put that new clothing, that new man on, and get lost in it. Somebody say amen. That's what we're trying to do here today, to get lost in putting on Jesus, to lose myself in the spirit of Christ. That's what it means to be a successful follower as you set your course on life, graduates, that's what we're challenging you to do today, to make no provision for your old nature and daily submit to your new spiritual nature. So here's the, the phrase for today is measure your success by how you are submitting to the Spirit. Measure success in your life. How successful was I this week? Well, how much did I submit to the Holy Spirit this week? How successful is all about how much you're submitting to the Holy Spirit each and every day. How successful you're going to be in life is the measure of how much you're submitting. Somebody say submit to the Spirit of God. All right, look with me in this story, 1 Samuel 13. Let me give you the story of two kings that represent these two natures, David and Saul. Perfect contrast. One is going to fail in their calling, 
and success, and the other is going to succeed. One is going to please the flesh, and one's going to please the spirit. So here's the background. God has warned Israel of the dangers of a king. But they didn't listen to the prophet Samuel. So Samuel finds a guy named Saul. Saul is like a head and shoulders above the rest. He looks the part. On the outside, flesh lies. Man, he looks like he'd be the best king ever. So what happens is Samuel anoints Saul. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 10 that God gave Saul a new heart. Somebody say new heart. He gave you got to get that because he gave him a new heart. It says he gave him a new heart. And the Holy Spirit came upon Saul mightily. So you think about how we have the Holy Spirit today. He came upon Saul mightily. In fact, Saul even prophesied like they did in Acts chapter 2. He prophesied. And then several times uh, Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit to win mighty battles. So he had a new heart. He had the Holy Spirit working on his life, evident in his life. And the Holy Spirit was filling him mightily. Okay? So here's the story. Saul gets to a moment, the Philistines hear how bad this guy is now. He's causing Israel to stand up and be the kingdom it's called to be. And then there's just thousands and thousands of Philistines surround Israel, and everyone starts to fear and flee. And here's where we are in that moment. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8. Samuel is not here, and he tells Saul, wait, I'm coming soon. I'm going to make a sacrifice and bless it before you go into battle. Now Saul waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring me the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings. And as soon as he finished the offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greeted him. But Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people, look what he's looking at, I saw the people were scattering from me, and that I saw that you did not come within the appointed days, and that the Philistines, look where he's looking, were assembling at Michmash. Therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I, uh, I forced myself. I forced myself and offered the burnt offerings. And Samuel said to Saul, You've acted foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord will not, not would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. The story goes on. Saul would continue to be king. God would let him be king for 40 years until David was ready. Saul would go on. There would be another battle come uh, against the Amalekites, and the same thing would happen. He would be tested again. And God would say to Saul, destroy these people, the Amalekites, completely. Destroy the king, the goats, the kids, the chickens, everything. Get everything out of it. I've given them time. They did not listen to me. Repent. My judgment's coming. But then Saul sees, man, I can be known if I keep this king alive in a prison. I'll be the guy that keeps the king. And look at all these goats and chickens and livestock. Man, we could be blessed by this. We'll give some of them to God. But man, we would be blessed by this. So Samuel shows up, and Samuel says, man, what do I hear in my ears? What is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? And he says, Saul, what have you done? And because of this, the Lord has rejected you. Saul began to make excuses. Man, I was just going to give that to the Lord. It's not that big of a deal. And he began to put the blame on other people. And for that reason, God says that his spirit left Saul found David. David was anointed as king as a young boy. He was the least of his family. You know the story perhaps. And he goes, and David is learning to be a spirit-filled musician as a shepherd's boy. One day, if you know the story, 
As he's ministering in Saul's court, he comes out and sees a battle, this great giant. He becomes known as the slingshot giant slayer. He rejects Saul's armor as king, and he goes out there just simply in the name of the Lord. And he begins to win battles like nobody's ever won battles for Israel. It goes on, the story would even continue that David would be on the run because Saul gets jealous. He fly, goes to fields and caves and deserts. And along the time of waiting, David writes what we have, majority of, is the book of Psalms. He begins to write these poems and songs and in his season of waiting. And then many times he could have taken his own uh, action. He could have killed Saul multiple times, but he didn't. He waited until the day that Saul died and God lifted him up. Saul, in contrast, his life went from craziness. He even turned to divination, you know, witchcraft, to hear a word from God because God left him. Began to build up his own kingdom, build up his soldiers, build up his army, till one day he lost the battle. And lo and behold, guess who finished him off? It was an Amalekite from the nation he should have destroyed in the first place. Saul's life is an epic tragedy of a person who began in the spirit but ended in the flesh. A person who had a new heart and had the Spirit of God, but rejected it like a bad heart transplant and began to keep his own heart. David, in contrast, is a man who, called by God, continued to walk in the Spirit. So look, let me give you three things about these guys before we go. How are you submitting to the Spirit of God each day? How are you submitting? How will you be successful in the Christian life, in the Spirit-filled life, determines, is determined by how you're submitting to the Spirit of God each day. Number one lesson that you can get out of this story of this tragedy is, number one, is learn to wait on God. Learn to wait on God. The successful, Spirit-filled life must learn to wait on God. The flesh always wants to fail to wait. Saul waits, look at this, he waits to the seventh day, he gets anxious, because what is he doing? He's watching what the enemy's doing. Then he's watching what people are doing, they're fleeing, they're running away. Then he's watching what Samuel does or doesn't do, and then he's thinking, well, what can my hands do to fix this problem? You ever get into a situation like that? I don't know how we're going to get through this. I know what she's doing, I know what he's doing, I know what work's doing, I know what the economy's doing. I don't understand how I'm going to get through this, so let me just devise a plan. Let me devise a plan so I can fix this situation and get in a hurry to do something, and maybe even preemptively. He failed to remember, though, in that moment, that that battle was always God's. The battle was always God's. No matter how he delayed or didn't delay, God was always going to be the one to win the battle. So God was going to win it whether it be early or late because he was walking a called life, a life that God had called him to. So when we read Romans, we said, Take no thought, make no provision for the flesh. Romans 8, 6 says this, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Somebody say peace. So what are you thinking on? Listen, waiting on the Lord is not inactivity. Waiting on the Lord is finding out that God is really working in the waiting. Think about Abraham. Remember Abraham waited 25 years for the promise of Isaac? But in that moment of 25 years, what was he doing? He was growing in his faith, and God was working on him in his waiting. Before he could ever earn and be the father that he wanted to be, God had to take this man on a journey. Sometimes that's the same for us. David at many times could have killed Saul. He was already anointed as king. I mean, listen, the Spirit of God said, on that guy, Samuel then came over here and anointed me to be the king. 
This dude's just in office. He's not even supposed to be there. I'm the rightful king. He could have put himself in position of power, and rightly so. But guess what God was doing with David? If David had not been the one to be on the run, you wouldn't have many of these psalms that we have here today. God was using David to grow him as a worshiper in the waiting. In that moment of waiting, God might just be wanting to write a new song through your testimony, a new story, something powerful that God would use for generations to come, that David, in the middle of his wilderness, God was working on David in the waiting. You remember there's a few, a few verses, uh, Psalms 25 and Psalms 27. Here's what David learned to write. He said, you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day, Psalms 25, 5. Or Psalms 27, 14, it says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait. Somebody say, wait. Wait, wait for the Lord. David's waiting grew him into be one of the greatest worshipers the Bible would ever see. So how can you learn to wait on God? You see, the flesh wants to reap rewards now. One author says this, unbelief is always in a hurry. You see, the flesh, it says, I want the power, I want the pleasure, I want the promotion, I want the prosperity, I want all the popularity, I want it all now. So in waiting, your flesh tends to worry. What's going to happen if nothing happens? What's going to happen if I don't do something about this right now? What's going to happen if she does this or he does that or if they keep saying that about me or they do this? You see, your spirit man is going to cause your fleshly man to wait on God. Has you, have your, and some of you are in a situation today. Has your fleshly old nature trying to do something and devise a way through that's going to get in the way of God's plans later. If, what if David had messed up that part of God's plan? Maybe today you're saying, I need to think about a moment in my life, or maybe you're in that season right now. Am I going to be a person who waits on the Lord to fight my battles for me, to realize that I'm a Christian who's called? So that means my calling puts me in the Lord's plans. That I have a plan. I'm in God's plan, His purpose for my life. That's what He said. I, I'm a promised kid. So God has promised to work in your waiting. Have you set your heart to worship in the waiting? Number two is this. Be quick to repent. Be quick to repent. The second, successful th second thing to be in success in the Christian life is that you must be quick to repent. Saul was seen as successful by the outside, but his crown ended up going to his head. And this life that Saul, he began to boast in what he'd done. In fact, when Samuel approached him that day, that he didn't wait for the sacrifice, it says that Saul was building a monument to himself. He was boasting in what he was already, man, we've had the sacrifice, and God's been good, he's going to do great things, and then we had the victory. And Samuel's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's like, this has gone to your head. You're boasting in something. You're making excuses about this. You're rationalizing your compromise before God. The flesh boasts in itself. The flesh tries to rationalize, tries to minimize it, but his biggest sin was saying, I'm really not taking the Word of God at its face value. It was treating the Word of God as insacred or unsacred. Here's what Matthew Henry says. He says, it's not sinning that ruins men, but it's sinning and not repenting. You see, the flesh, <clears throat> you got to get to know yourself. Sometimes we don't really know ourselves. Here's what the flesh does. 
The flesh will set itself as a certain place, and it will set standards for itself that's not the same standards for other people. It's going to set higher standards for other people, but it's going to set littler standards for itself. It's going to uh, compromise and keep things. It's going to not want to completely give everything up. It's going to keep secrets. And thirdly, the flesh, it never wants to die publicly, so it often justifies itself. You ever get to know your real self? Say, yeah, okay, I'm going to judge somebody for sinning that way, but then I'm going to keep my own little secret sins here, my own little secret thoughts here. I would never want anybody to do that to me, but I, I'm probably going to think that way about them. I'm going to be honest. The flesh always sets itself up, and it never wants to die publicly. Oh, man, it hates apologizing. It hates giving things up, totally selling out. The flesh never wants to totally sell out for you as a Christian. Man, it wants to keep little things Little angers, little unforgiveness, little lust, little pleasures, little knit things. If I can just, I'll give mostly, I'll be okay, but I'm going to keep this right here. And that's what Saul did. Saul wanted to keep a little bit of something for himself. But Jesus said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It means to do it all the time. Paul says, I die daily. He says, I'm going to be crucified with Christ in the life I live. I'm going to live in faith in Jesus. He'd go on to say, be filled with the Spirit continually. What is he saying? Be continually putting on Jesus, making no provision for the flesh, taking no thought. That means every day I have to get up and go to my closet, and I'm going to put on that, let's just say, Jesus costume. And I want to get lost in who he is. And this is a person who was sinless and yet he died for me. He didn't have to be baptized in water for repentance, but he demonstrated it for me. He gave up his entire privilege in heaven, made himself of no reputation that he could save my soul. And though I was yet a sinner, he still died for me. So how can I keep anything back from him? So when I put on Jesus, it means to be crucified with him. Paul says, I die with him when I put him on. It means that I do this also in Christ-like humility. As what James 5 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Nobody likes to quote that verse. Confess your sins. I'm going to keep this quiet to myself because if I say it, it's going to get on the gossip chain. It's going to be around Facebook. I get all that. But what is he saying? It means go to a brother or sister who you know is your accountability partner. Find yourself in Christ-like biblical community. Get to know an elder in the faith, a spiritual leader, and let yourself be accountable. Submit yourself to them because you're not always going to be thinking right in your life. That old nature is going to come back, and you need to be in Christ-like biblical community. And no one likes to do this in the modern church. But they had it back then. And they submitted themselves and said, hey, pray for me. I've really been struggling in this area. Or they offended someone, and they went to them face to face and said, I'm so sorry at what I've done to you. I want to make amends. There's three words you can really uh, put here. It means accountability, acknowledging wrongs, they're all A's, and making amends. Be accountable to somebody. Acknowledge your wrongs quickly and be willing to make amends with others. It's so easy to live a church life independently. But Christ was all about building up and being in biblical community. Christ did not come to this earth and live his life independent of a fellowship of people. So he, if you're going to put him on, you're going to love biblical community. Let me just be honest. When I'm Ninja Turtles... Okay, I put on Superman, I'm going to act like Superman and do what Superman wants to do. If I'm putting on Jesus, Jesus died for his church. Yeah. Somebody will say, Pastor, can I be a Christian and not really care and go to church? The thief on the cross says yes, but if you get to live longer than a day, then no. Right. Because Jesus died to build the church. Right. Come on, can I be honest? I'm tired of independent Christianity. It doesn't exist in the Bible. 
Biblical community inspires accountability and confession. And this is where Saul failed. He failed to be quick. When David sinned and Nathan approached him, he got on his knees, he put on sackcloth, and he went to the presence of God, and he stayed there for a week because he admitted his wrongs, and he even accepted God's judgment on his house. If you want to be successful in the Christian life, be quick to repent. Husbands, this is what our wives are for. Come on, somebody, say amen. My wife is the biggest help for me to keep me humble because she's quick to remind me, say you're sorry, apologize, be quick to forgive, be quick to repent. Do I find myself submitting to the Holy Spirit daily? Am I daily going into that place to die to self, to put on Christ, and quickly acknowledge wrongs, to quickly make amends, rubbing off all those rough edges of my old self, being accountable to people, acknowledging my wrongs, and making amends? Number three, and lastly, is this. Build God's kingdom first. You see, Paul, Saul had that new heart, but like a bad transplant, he rejected it. When he didn't wait on God, when he didn't submit to biblical accountability, when he didn't quickly repent, he began to reject that heart. And as God says, because you've rejected my heart, I found a man who's after my own heart. I put a new heart in you, Saul, and I put the Spirit of God on you. But you didn't listen to that new nature that I had on the inside of you. You rejected that new heart. You didn't listen and wait on the Holy Spirit. So now I'm finding someone who's going to do this kingdom building my way. And that was David. See, the third thing to be successful is you must work to build up God's kingdom before your own. Somebody say, Amen. You see, Saul's story ended with a life all about himself, but David's story ended with him wanting to build a house for God. The thing on David's dying breath, I want to build a permanent dwelling place for God. Saul's permanent last breath was an Amalekite, the very person that he didn't listen to to do what God wanted him to do. It was a, a representation of the flesh, that the flesh was going to fail to please God. And that thing that he didn't deal with, that secret sin, that disobedience, that not listening to the Holy Spirit, that thing killed him in the end. Are you hearing me this morning? That thing you don't deal with, that thing you don't uh, uh, learn how right now to listen to those, uh, between those two natures, that thing can come back and kill you. But David was quick to obey. And he says, I understand that my life is not my own. David knew this. This is why he was successful. Somebody say, well, Pastor, what does it mean that David was a man after God's own heart? David wasn't perfect. He murdered one of his best friends and slept with his wife. And it was pretty awful. But it meant he was a man who chased after God. And ultimately, when God put David as king, here's what it means. David never forgot that God was the true king of Israel. David didn't let the crown go to his head. David always remembered, I'm a stand-in for one who's coming after me who will be the true king. You see, when I'm that superhero and I'm putting that stuff on, I'm just standing in for Jesus. You are representing Christ as a Christian. You're putting on Christianity. That means little Christ. You're putting on the image of Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Okay, well, you have to put that on and be that in this world because they're going to see him through you. That means when you put him on, you don't get to live the life that you had before. You get lost in the life he's given you. And that life he's given you, like I said before, Jesus died to build an eternal kingdom on the earth. So David said, my life is going to be given over to build a place for God to dwell. You are living stones, temples in the house of God. You are dwelling places, spiritual temples, dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. And God is building an eternal kingdom through you in a global world. 
He has been building something for His Son to rule and reign, an eternal kingdom that's coming very, very soon. And the great trumpet, He's coming back again to establish something that He, has, he won on that cross that day, and He's going to come, and every knee's going to bow, every tongue is going to confess there is only one King, one ruler supreme, and that's Jesus. And we're all going to be a part of that eternal heavenly kingdom. And David didn't get lost in the fact that I want to build this about myself. I'm going to build a monument. I'm going to build a house. I'm going to have three cars. I'm going to have a job. I'm a beautiful wife and some kids. And I'm going to live for a great 401k, and it's all going to be about me. And sure, I'll go to church, and I'll tithe, and I'll be a good person. I'll go to Sunday school. I'll maybe even sing on the praise team. But my life is really all about me. You know why I know that so well? That was my life. Until my second year of college, when God got a radically a hold of me and said, Heath, give up everything. I wanted it all. Man, I wanted to be a great, successful person and a great Christian. And God... He said, you can't have it your way. If you're completely mine, then you're completely mine. You see, you could say, well, Pastor, I want to I make a lot of money, and I'll give a lot of money to African churches, and I'll, I'll give money to missions. I'll give money to Africa, but what if God called you to go to Africa? Well, no, 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 that's not really for me, Pastor. See, you can't assume that the American dream is God's purpose for your life. Every New Testament Christian died for their faith. It's something completely more radical than we have in America today. See, what has the Spirit of God told you? You see, the flesh builds religion, and then it'll hide behind it. But Paul says, the one who sows to the flesh will reap from the flesh corruption, and the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You can't assume God's will for you is the American dream of success. God has called and anointed every believer in His church to go be a witness, to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 that every single person's work is going to be tested and revealed by fire to see what kind of work it will be on that last day. I'm going to be real with you today. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's that simple. When you put on Jesus, you get lost in Him. And Jesus died to give you and me an eternal kingdom. Everything outside of that if God blesses you with great jobs, if He blesses you with careers and cars and, you know, great kids and accolades and fame and fortune, if He gives you all that, great. But be sure it's the Spirit of God leading, in you, leading you to those things. Because His will for your life may be to sell your house, give away things, change that job, move to a different location, do something maybe you naturally never would do. And you're going to have to make a choice. In my, in my heart, there are two hearts, an old heart and a new heart. Fleshly man and a spiritual man. And what is the Holy Spirit telling you to do? Am I submitting to the Holy Spirit every single day? That's how successful, that's going to be determination of success. Am I submitting to the Holy Spirit? Am I waiting on the Lord? Am I being quick to repent? And lastly, am I building God's kingdom first? Will it be found at the end of your life, like David, that your greatest love was using all the things God gave you to build His kingdom. Some of you are going to go into marketing, communications, public speaking. Some of you being in psychology. That's great. God is going to give you talents, abilities, gifts, but they will all be ultimately to build His kingdom. 
Whether you're a secular, in the secular world, whether you're staying at home as a mom, or you're going to the oil field as a dad, whatever God gives you at the end of the day, it ultimately is to build his kingdom. In the Christian life, there's no separation of sacred and secular. David realized that. Everything I have is God's. And that's going to determine, God, how, how am I listening to the Holy Spirit? Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me? I'll give you one last thought before we close. Put on Jesus. Paul says, put on Jesus and make no provision. Take no thought for the flesh. And that last, <clears throat> that moment, the beginning of David's life, he had a choice. He's standing there on the battlefield. He hears the cry. God has anointed him. He's got a new heart and spirit in his life. And he hears this giant. It's going to be the, the, the pivotal moment of his life. It's going to set the course for the rest of his kingdom. And Saul says, hey... Saul in his tent fearing and trembling says, put on my armor, put on the thing I've made for myself, put on this kingdom, even really before David's time. David could have put on the kingly garments right then. He could have put on a man in his armor, a fleshly man. And David said, no, this doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. I go out there. David says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. David made a choice not to put on a fleshly man's armor. But he made a choice to go in the spirit of God. Young person, sir or ma'am, every day you're going to fight battles. You have a choice to put on the old self or to put on the new self, to put on fleshly things or to put on spiritual things, to fight things in the natural or to begin to fight things in the spiritual. And what you do is going to determine how successful you're going to be at building God's kingdom. And you can never do it in the natural. We're going to make a, a choice to stand together today and say, God, I want to put on Jesus and get lost in being him.